welcome to the Real Appeal Podcast. This is your host and writer for your entertainment corner, Kelsey Loizel. And with me today is my co-host. Mark Salcedo, managing editor and writer Screen All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of the podcast, guys. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Um, you know what I'm talking, you know what I'm not talking about? What? No ice. Yeah, vanilla ice hasn't been around for a while, so. That's why vanilla ice came out with ice, ice baby, so people will be more interested in ice again. Because <laughs> before that, everyone was like, no ice, no yeah, ice. Stocks and stocks and ice plummeted yeah. in the 80s. No, they started plummeting in like. I don't know, the 40s or whatever because mm. of refrigerators. Yeah, refrigerators the refrigerators dominated the um, the market that ice, you know, dwelled in. Mm-hmm. And after a while, it was a it was a game war between fridge versus ice. Well, you know who was behind that? Vanilla ice? No, the penguins. They mm. wanted their ice back. They wanted people to stop it. So they built a corporation and made refrigerators, and then they got their ice back. Plot twist. The people behind the fridges? Polar bears. Well, I just said they were penguins, but... Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. There was penguins. <clears throat> but wait, wait. Which side were the penguins on? Were they on the ice side or fridge side? Well, they wanted to keep their ice, so they made refrigerators. Oh, okay. So the po- polar bears were on the ice side. Yeah. Okay. They're polar ice. Ice, baby. <laughs> Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Real Appeal, two E's in real. I look like I'm boring, Mark. You're not. Uh, therealappeal at gmail.com is where you can email us. If you would please review our podcast on any of the apps that you listen to our sultry voices on, Mm -hmm. uh, we would... Silky smooth. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> what the fuck was that? Was that a prah or a prah? <laughs> no, it was... Oh, was, oh okay, I was saying. It wasn't a prah or a prah. It was a ha. Yeah. <laughs> um, Our segments for this week's show are our recent review of Bones and All. Our variety time that doesn't have a clever name. No, but- it does. Hold up, hold up, <laughs> hold up. It's clever. This is how clever it is. I'm going to put it in there right now. Bam. The story of cannibal eating a willing victim. That's not clever. You're right. It's not. <laughs> um, you could have said something about uh, German flesh cake. Something like that. Um, you know how there's like those German chocolate cakes? All right. While Kelsey has me on the spot, I'm going to come up with another one. No, German flesh cake. No, that's stupid. You're stupid. All right, German flesh cake. (laughs) Our geriatric cinematic is The Hunger, which came out in 1983. And our tropic is Longing for Companionship. Hey, that's my part. Oh, yeah. While you were too busy typing. No, it's okay. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I can't type and talk at the same time. You can't. Oh, shit. (laughs) Um... German flesh cake, as is green, highlighted. Now it's no longer highlighted. There. As she said, there. 
There. <sighs> phenomenal. I feel phenomenal. Phenomena. <laughs> yeah. I got fired. Or, or oh, I'm sorry. Laid La- off. I got laid off last Thursday. Um, saw it coming, too. Mm-hmm. Which is another thing, you know. I I think I'm partially psychic, or or I'm able to deduce. You know, I like to say that deduce. <laughs> you gotta drop deduce. Yeah, <laughs> I got the deduce dropped on me uh, <laughs> last Thursday at my nine to five job. <laughs> I think um, I think I might have weirded them out because I I I feel like I cut I came off as kind of excited like hey i was right yeah oh fuck i was right <laughs> and that don and that and that 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 second one finally caught up to me like later in the day like oh yeah i was right okay all right well i have a job now so looking for work which is always fun mm-hmm. um great time i know just trying to keep myself busy you know you know how i am i have to be i have to be busy otherwise i start losing my mind yeah because you're a busy body. I wish my bus- I with my busy body. <laughs> I wish my busy body would burn up these calories. <laughs> no, it's not, that's not how it works. So I won't be a big boy busy body. You won't be busy burning money instead? <laughs> Clever. Uh-huh. Just like German flesh cake. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know who also lost their job? Who? Not me. Oh, don't speak that in the air. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I don't need you to lose your job. I need you to support me. Uh, uh, mm. Says the guy who made dinner. <laughs> yeah, I, that's my application right there. Your application? Yeah. Look, I'm sorry. I don't have the money to bring a part-time nanny on right now. Or a part-time, you know, chef. Mm-hmm. Um, well, here, this is what you do. All right, this is what you do. You hire a part-time nanny, mm-hmm. part-time chef, mm-hmm. part-time comedian, mm-hmm. part-time mathematician, uh-huh. part-time podcaster, part-time writer, part-time cleaner, like custodian, janitor, whatever, mm-hmm. part-time cat walker, <laughs> and part-time uh, maid. Okay? Mm-hmm. You combine all that up, mm-hmm. right? And that equals full-time and a half. Full-time and a half? Yeah. And you get me. Well, I told—I just told you I couldn't even afford a nanny or a chef. Yeah, you Let can. alone all that other stuff. Yeah, you can. You got you got stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks of dollars. No. Or quarters. <laughs> I have five pennies. That's more than I have. <laughs> <laughs> or the more than I will have if if something doesn't come along within a month. Seriously. I'll be royally fucked. <laughs> But we're not here to talk about sad things. Well, I think we kind of are. No. Not no. those sad things, but other sad things. No, we're going to talk about good things. Okay. <laughs> good things, like what we're going to be reviewing. Like we're going to be reviewing um, something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what are we reviewing? Something. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I love that movie. Oh, my God. The sequel to Nope. Something. <laughs> um, Our recent review... This week is Bones and All. But you can't spend the night? Not all night. So where'd you move here from anyway? 
Eastern Shore. Try that. You have to be good and gone. I can't help you anymore. I know it's not your fault. You were born this way. You ate them. I believed you had to. I don't know why. I smelt you. I didn't know I could do that. I thought I was the only one. I don't want to hurt anybody. Famous last words. There are lots of us. I don't actually meet many others. Why did you offer to bring me along? You seem nice. I am nice. I like the uh, synopsis here. Because mm -hmm. it's so vague. Yeah, yeah, what is it? It says, Marin, a young woman, learns how to survive on the margins of society. <laughs> that is vague. A super As fucking vague. fuck. I mean, like... If you watch the trailer, it gives you less than what the trailer does. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's directed by Luca uh, Guadagnino. That's how I'm going to say it. Mm. Written by David Kajenic. Mm. Uh, based on the book by Camille D'Angelis. It stars Taylor Russell, Timothy Chalamet, and Mark Rylance. I like to think of Timothy Chalamet as Timothy Chalamet Ding Dong. No. Because that's M. Night Shyamalan Ding Dong. Yeah, they're related. <laughs> Can't you see it in the bone structure? <laughs> Not anymore, because the bones are eaten. <laughs> uh, so bones and all. This is um, this movie's been out for a couple of weeks, but Kelsey and I wanted to review it because we thought it would be worth uh, talking to. Talking to. Yeah, we're going to talk to the I movie. Know, worth uh, talking about. Um, so Kelsey, what's your overall thoughts on the boning that is all? Yeah. <laughs> um i love it okay why did you love this um this film i was gonna say trash ass film. it's not a trash film i love i love it too i thought it was really great but go um i love it because mm -hmm. of the direction and the cinematography was super special in this mm -hmm. um the writing was really good the story kind of makes you feel things that other regular films don't always make you feel mm-hmm um, it's like a little bit of a, like a outer, like, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like a story that could happen except for the one thing, you know, like it was such a normal story. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's a. I don't say it's a basic story, but it is a story about like two people who are like lost in in this, you know, society lost in the world who like find themselves, um, who find each other then and finds themselves along the way. And it's like a coming of age story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Like I was. It was funny. Like, I I I had to like let this movie sit with me for like a a little bit. Um, because some of the, um, because just the fact that it has like that one element that doesn't make it a common, like coming of age story really like stands out. Right. Mm. Um, but it comes, it, I feel like it comes to like, it adds a level, it adds like another layer 
of it. And I think that layer is addiction, which I think I think the what the film is trying to say. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Um, the director Luca Guadagnino, I guess that's how you say his name. Uh, very familiar with that dude's work. This is a guy who did like um, "Call Me Call Me by Your Name" and he did like the remake of like Suspiria and stuff like that. So obviously, I was going to go in thinking like, all right, this dude's this dude's like still got still got it right, mm-hmm. um, and he still does have it. Like this is, I think this is like his fourth film or something like that. Um, and I thought it was. I thought I was I'm the same way. I thought it was well directed. I really like the cinematography, especially like the landscape shots that they do, mm-hmm. uh, which looks very beautiful. Um, but also was, how how they um, show the actors, so like mm-hmm. with the the sunlight hits their eyes and you know filters through their hair and stuff. There was a lot of that too, mm-hmm. and a lot of like the golden hour. Oh yeah, there was like several times. So okay, what? <laughs> Like, no, no, I, I know what the golden hour is, even though sometimes I still get it wrong. Uh-huh. But I'm like, oh, it's the golden hour. And you're like, no, it's this. But is there like a word for like when it's the, the golden hour, but there's like mixed with like purple or some shit like that? Like, because I know that there's a, a number of shots where it was like split. Like the sky had like this weird kind of gold on top, purple type of thing going on. Okay. So the golden hour is mm. when the sunlight makes things look golden. Yeah. When the sun goes down and, or it goes down lower mm. and the sky starts changing color, mm. that's just a sunset. Oh, okay. Yeah. I kind of figured there'd be like a separate word, separate word or name for that or some shit like that. Um, we can make a new one up. <laughs> the Duskening. The Duskening? Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound as smart. <laughs> the Duskening. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds like, this sounds like a horrible, like, off Broadway <laughs> of 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 something like an off Broadway play set in the MCU where they talk about the the snap or some shit like that. The snapping. You know, it's called the. I like the duskening. That's so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what what was about it? Uh, Going a little further about what was about the direction that you liked, and I and and the cinematography because you you tend to like really gravitate towards um, cinematography. Um, okay, so the directing I really enjoyed because it it follows um, Taylor Russell, who played Marin, mm-hmm. and it kind of starts off as her story, mm-hmm. and um, you kind of meet people along the way, mm-hmm. and it turns into their story a little bit, too. Yeah. And uh, I do kind of think that it's hard to follow people as they're traveling sometimes. Mm. However, um, this one made sense of it. And also, I like the idea of you don't really know how much time has passed. Mm. So there are times where they'd say, oh, yeah, like, I was here a few months ago. And I'm like, really? It was a few months? Like, that's the only way you know. Mm-hmm. Um. And then the, um, you know what's really interesting about um, Taylor Russell? Hmm. Other than the fact that she looks like your daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, the way she was looking around, like, there were when she was quiet and she wasn't really acting, when she was, like, some of the time she was like that, mm-hmm. you still got, like, a sense of 
she was thinking about something or she was really engaged, Mm -hmm. but she was actually kind of stoic. And I think that's really hard to pull off. Like, Mm -hmm. usually when people are quiet and they're not, um, they're not actively doing something, they either have resting bitch face or you're like, why am I watching this person? Yeah, they can come off as like stilted. Yeah. Um, you know. Or like they're just bad actors. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that actually kind of reminds me of um, when we were watching that movie, The Hidden, mm-hmm. the 80s film, and Kyle MacLachlan, he was supposed to be stoic, but he came off as very like stiff and very like mm-hmm. almost, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh when you have that look of just like bl- like kind of blank face or some shit like mm-hmm. that, where where Taylor Russell she didn't have any of that at all, you know. I think I actually think that she was probably. Mm, I want to say it's like between her and Timothy Chalamet, which I was just like, yo, the performance is like spot on, great. Yeah, I don't think I could choose which one of them was better than the other. Yeah, yeah. They did a they did really well bouncing off of each other. Like their chemistry was great. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like I'm curious to I'm curious to know like how you know, okay. I don't know if it's Timothy Chalamet or if it is the director, but he's able the director Luca Guadadino he's able to have like the right type of chemistry between his two leads like in and call me by your name um army hammer and timothy chalamet had like really great chemistry with one another i really think um it's maybe a combination of both mm. but if you remember when timothy chalamet was in dune he had a lot of time where he wasn't saying anything and he was able to make you feel connected to him and other characters mm. I can see that. So I think he's really that good. Yeah, you like walked out of the theater saying that Timothy Chalamet was what your favorite uh, actor. Yeah, well, he's like one of my new favorites. (laughs) So, so well, with that being said, this is like a little side note. With that being said, are you actually are you looking forward to his um, his interpretation of Willy Wonka? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I didn't know he was going to do it, but yeah. I feel like I feel like if I threw that question at you like two days ago, you'd have been like, "What the fuck." (laughs) I would have been like, what the fuck? But <laughs> yeah. I hope that they're going to do like a, a dark take on it with him. Yeah, me too. Um, but yeah, like there's this, um, the the director. Oh, when I was when I was saying earlier about the landscape shots and stuff like that. Um, it's funny because like some of the shots like you like the area that they travel through is like more of like, I would, what would you say like what Midwest, maybe like South or something like that. Uh, yeah, I would call it the Midwest. Um, mm. No, it wasn't the Midwest. Um, yeah, some of it was because they were in Nebraska, but they were mm. also like in, um, I think Minnesota. I, yeah, I remember something Minnesota, there's something like Virginia at mm-hmm. some point, stuff like that. But like, like how, how the direction kind of like takes these, uh, locations that look almost like desolate, like there's no life into them, mm-hmm. and it makes them look lively. Mm-hmm. Like, it almost, like, no lie, there was, while watching this, I was thinking, I was thinking, like, damn, I kind of want to go cross country again. <laughs> Even though I'm sure if we actually like went to these locations, they would not be as glam, or not glamorous, but as beautiful as the director made them to be. Well, I don't know because um, I'm still rolling away mm. and I can never see landscape ever again because, you know, I'm still rolling from when the wind blew me over. <laughs> Even when you fell like 15 times in a, in a single even falling. Though, even though I was still, when I fell down, I was still falling. 
the infinite fall. <laughs> the fallening. The fallening. <laughs> um, so, so back to the performance. <laughs> um, how do you say his last name? Mark Rylance. 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 Mark Rylance. It. I. He it, always makes me feel weird every time I watch him in something. I haven't watched enough. Oh, that makes complete sense why this soundtrack is dope. Who did it? My boys, Trent Reznor and Atticus uh, Ross. Uh-huh. No wonder why this soundtrack is hella fucking dope. I'm going to listen to that after this. Uh, I forgot about that, but I remember uh, watching it. I was like, the music's fucking good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, other than like other than like some of the... like the um, More cinematic sounds? Well, not the cinematic sounds, but like the 80s... Um, I definitely, I almost said like needle drop. It's not like, it's not needle drop music and stuff like that, but something with the eighties, the the music of the time, it really, really worked well with like conveying the emotions of the scene and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but back to what I was saying about Mark Rylance. It's funny. Like, so Mark Rylance, um, I've seen like, I, every time I, I watch him in something, I have to like, remind myself like there's there's a part of me that's like this dude's not that good an actor and stuff like that right but within like five minutes of seeing him in this movie i'm like that's why you won that fucking oscar (laughs) (laughs) when i watch him i have to remind myself that he's that character doesn't actually exist in real life i mean i mean something like that probably exists in real (laughs) life but i don't think it's mark rylance (laughs) (laughs) but yeah his character was like like there's this way i was kind of going back and forth with this character of like i feel sorry for him but like damn he's fucking creepy I like know. I, I kept going back at that like throughout through every time he like showed up like it almost felt like the room got cold <laughs> i had a couple of times where i was a little bit taken out of the story mm-hmm. when he would be talking because mm-hmm. he sounds like the old pedo guy from uh a family guy yeah <laughs> i can see that uh, but just even like the way how he like carried himself, like was walking through the scene and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was like he was embodying like, um, like a monster, mm-hmm. you know, without it, without it being like overly done or stuff like that. You know how like it wasn't ho- overt. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like how in some, some horror films they're like the twitching, like they're, they have the body twitching and cracking and whatever that like uh-huh. jittery and shit. His character was doing that. But at the same time, like I said, I'm going back and forth. Like, I feel bad for this guy, but, like, fuck this guy at the same time. Yeah, like, he does things in a way that you're like, oh, that's nice because, you know, other people are going to do it differently and in a bad way. Mm -hmm. But then the way he treats people is, like, you know he's going to murder you when he gets you by himself. Yeah, exactly. Um, So what did you think of the, the writing? Uh, the writing was great. I pretty much liked everything about the characters mm. and how they spoke. And um, especially um, Timothy Chalamet's character was really, um, I don't know, believable. Mm-hmm. And so was Taylor Russell. But um, I think her, her character was a little bit more reserved. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually pretty because I'm because I'm looking at this dude's um, his writing history. Um, his first screenplay was The Invasion, which is not that good. 
Mm-hmm. It's 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 a 2007 version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which we've we've talked about in like an old episode. Um, but like it's weird. It's and not that it's weird, but you can tell like he's his writing has gotten a lot better. Um, like the movie, like True True Story, which came out in 2015. But like I said, he did um, 2018 Suspiria, which has like this weird element of like horror, and then like something to say about a particular subject that would be seen uh like in a everyday life but here's like a here's a, like a dramatic horror or like dramatic gore twist to it mm-hmm. that like works itself out um i forgot what kind of i forgot what's the term that's used for like certain horror films that's like art house horror films mm-hmm. but i f- i think they're not called woke horror films I, for, I forgot what the exact term is but this is like a very kind of like art house like horror film yeah um but which is, the, i mean in a way it kind of makes me think of that movie raw oh yeah yeah i mean i didn't like that movie it wasn't mm. that good but like to me it feels like i forgot you went with me to see that movie yeah okay and you're like i don't get the hype i'm not a fan i, I <laughs> Because they were trying to sell that one as people were passing out. Yeah, they were vomiting in the in the alley. In the, yeah, in the in, in the, the aisles. In the aisles, they were convulsing. You know, punching babies, you know. <laughs> <laughs> licking acid frogs. Yeah, listen, acid frogs chewing on gravel. Mm-hmm. It's pandemonium, but it wasn't. <laughs> no, but this one did it really well. Yeah, I feel yeah, like even yeah. even the gore was like not too much, but ju- I feel like it was just enough. Yeah, it like that, and that's the thing. And like, it could have been like The Walking Dead, yeah. and it chose not to. Yeah, like it, oh shit, yeah, I didn't even think about that. Holy shit! Um, like I think a lesser director would have really kind of like harkened into the whole core aspect of the movie, and kind of, and then that would have like drowned out like the underlying message of like companionship and like addiction and stuff like that mm. um but yeah other than, that, other than that like i thought the writing was like phenomenal um yeah it was like like there are parts where the writing takes like a certain twist mm-hmm. and it's it was actually pretty fucking heartbreaking yeah it was there were a few twists mm. and um i don't know like it was heartbreaking but a lot of it was like sweet or bittersweet mm-hmm. like in these ways that you don't expect yeah and then there were some sad parts <laughs> yeah so i was like oh like i honestly this this film whenever i saw the trailer for it i was like that's either gonna be really good or really bad and i couldn't usually i'm pretty good at looking at a trailer and being mm. like yeah i'm not gonna watch that mm. but this one had me curious i almost watched it a few weeks ago without you oh really before we were gonna do it mm. um that would have been the end of her her friendship i know i should have watched it <laughs> just just the end just the end of our relationship yeah i <laughs> i mean like i said i i already got fired what's wrong you know losing you can be fired from the relationship <laughs> yeah no, no no mark you're laid off <laughs> go, yeah. apply, go apply you're for unemploy- laid off so lay off yeah apply for unemployment <laughs> um 
I'm trying to think if there's anything else we can talk about without spoiling because we're kind of like tiptoeing with like the 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 strongest element of other the, other than the fact that the music was pretty much 80s mm-hmm. i like that they set it in the 80s yeah um, like i like that because i don't know that you could do that like i'm sure you could do the story mm-hmm. with you know in modern like right now mm-hmm. but i feel like it added a little bit of a level of like uh, you could do the art like the art house film in yeah. the 80s it's harder to do with mm-hmm. like in modern times yeah it, it's funny because like one aspect of the, one aspect of this movie is that it could have only worked before the invention of cell phones or like yeah or or, or like um it, or or the internet and stuff like that because of like what these two characters do throughout the movie if it was like set in like 90s or the early aughts or something like that they'd have been found out like really fast mm-hmm. and then it, it would have it would have been a whole different movie probably would have been like this cheesy like getaway type movie or something like that mm-hmm. that wouldn't have worked so um and also uh, yeah. they didn't overdo it with it being in the 80s you know how people are yeah. like, "Oh, this is my my era," so I'm just gonna. Yeah, they like beat you over the head with it with like cliche kind of shit and everything. Or like the that. needle drop thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And the the movie doesn't really do that. It's like very selective with his, um, with the soundtrack, uh, with popular '80s songs, and with uh, the cinematography and um, scenes. Yeah, yeah, and and Trent Reznor and Atticus, Atticus Ross's um, style of, uh, music making. Mm-hmm. Which I, which I'm always a fan. Of. I love I love listening to their soundtracks. Yeah. Um. All right, you want to hop into the spoiler section? Mm-hmm. Cue it up. All right, cool. <laughs> all right, so we're gonna hop into the spoiler section, and we're gonna talk in great lengths about um, bones and all, or the boning and alling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just trying to be funny, and I'm failing. Whatever. Yeah, you're just bawling. I'm just bawling. Mm-hmm. Or we're, you can make it. Banal. I know. I really bone that joke. Is that, is that how you do it? Banal. Banal. Okay. You don't. You didn't, do. You know what banal is? What's banal? Banal is like, uh, like a moot point. Like it's banal. It's like a, like makes you yawn. I guess. <laughs> I know how to use it. I uh, just can't say the word. Like the, it means. Mm. You're, so you're, lacking you're banaling me right now. <laughs> so lacking in originality as to be obvious and boring. That's me. Yeah. Good old boring Mark. Banal. <laughs> good, good old banaling Mark. <laughs> Banaler. Yeah, okay. Anyway, anyway. So, yeah, we're going <laughs> to... So, if you don't want to be spoiled, here's your spoiler bumper right about now. So there's a lot of blood in this movie. No, but no. Well, I would say strategically, a lot of blood in this movie. Yes. Um. So I, <clears throat> I saw I saw the trailer for this movie one time. Like I like I'm I'm normally I'm trying not to watch trailers, but if I have to, I'm like, all right, let me get it once, so then I can forget it mm-hmm. and go on it kind of blind. 
Yeah. All right. Um, but yeah, I heard like I knew about the cannibal aspect of this movie. Um, one thing that I like about this movie is like they don't really go into detail of why that's a thing. That there are people out there who just have this urge to like eat flesh. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I think and like they. The, the the direction of the writing doesn't focus on that because I, they because the team knew that I, my guess like they they knew that it would take away from what the story is about about like these two characters like just surviving mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, so like I really have to I really have to applaud them for that shit for not making like the whole cannibalism thing the, the main focus of the movie, which is kind of funny because the trailer kind of makes you think that. And also, it makes you think that Sully is the one who is fucking crazy and wants to, like, show you the way how to kill people and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that Lee is the one who's like, no, let's run away from it all. And Oh, yeah. yeah. But in the movie, it's actually Sully only eats people as they've died of natural causes. Yeah. Um. And Lee is the one just going out and trying to find someone who deserves to be killed. And he yeah. just has no problem killing people. And mm. then Marin also has no problem killing people as long. Mm. And they both try not to do it like people have families or whatever. And that's one of the parts Yeah, that kind of freaks him out in the movie. But mm. I thought that was interesting how the trailer is like, yeah. Like, yeah, they it's sell- this and then it's not that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um a good i don't know if that was like on purpose as a misdirection but if it was like fucking bravo for doing that exactly <laughs> you know get people in the theaters to watch this shit mm-hmm. <laughs> um so um as we were talking about the the writing in the non-spoiler section there are a couple of heartbreaking twists the one that caught me off guard is at the beginning when andre holland who played um tyler russell's dad mm-hmm. up and leaves like he just like can't deal with her cannibalism and how it is like a part of her. Mm-hmm. Um, you can kind of make an art. You can kind of make the argument because I was saying about this movie is also about addiction. You can kind of make the argument that like, um, if you had taken the idea of cannibalism out mm-hmm. and then put like heroin addiction to it or crack addiction to it and how that affects a child. And they become um, they become addicted as well. Mm-hmm. You can kind of you can kind of do the same thing. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> that's all I had to say about that. Because you look like you're about to be like, hmm, interesting. No, Mark. No, I was thinking when you said about um, her father. Mm-hmm. I think one of my only gripes with this film mm-hmm. is that her if her father was going to leave or mm-hmm. abandon her. Mm-hmm. I don't think he would have, like, normal people don't wait until the kid is 18. Like, like you're allowing her basically to, you, like, you can't keep other people safe. Mm. So what are you doing? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, there's obviously, you feel like there's something wrong with her. Mm. You don't just try and keep her away from hurting people till she's 18 and then leave. Like, all right, figure your shit out. Yeah, I mean, but I, I but mean, it's not like a big thing, and it doesn't yeah. take you out of the film. But I was yeah. just like, even when I was watching the film, I was kind of like, 
I don't know about that, but it's still okay. I get, I get what you're, yeah, it's okay to leave your kid like that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> no, no, I get what you're saying. That didn't, I didn't really have a problem with that because that makes sense to me because of how um, the father has been dealing with that situation even before she was born. Like what happened with the mother who's played by Chloe Sovietsky, I think. Um, I think that's how you say her name. Probably not. Uh, <laughs> no, I think it's like Chloe Savini. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, I didn't like. I, said, I didn't really see it as a problem. I, it, to me, it made total sense to like what was what had happened with that. Um, I'm. I kind of wish that he did come back, or we see what happened to him, or because we because we eventually like um, the Marin character like wants to find her mother because mm-hmm. she wants to have answers. She she needs answers to be like, why am I like this? You know, mm-hmm. which I think is a really great. Uh, it's also like a great analogy for people with mental issues and stuff like that. How um, there might be schizophrenia in the family or you might have, you might come from like a long line of like schizophrenic people or something like that. Or drug, like, uh, drug addiction is mental health. Yeah. yeah. You're going to come from a long line of people who are addicted to drugs or alcohol or whatever. Yeah. And then how you're trying to like find those answers and stuff like that. Like I had, I had actually kind of went through the same thing when, um, my kid's uh, mother was pregnant with her, with her kid and everything. And I have, at the time, I when she was pregnant, I had like little to no information on my father, like whatsoever. And then she was just like, "I think you should go try to find your dad or try to find out what like information about him because we're about to have a kid and we we should find out if we should be worried about anything that's hereditary or anything like that." Uh-huh. You know. And I was like, "Okay, that make that makes complete sense." And then after like a little bit of trekking and stuff like that, you know, I found I found my sister, found these pictures and all this kind of stuff. Like, I, like I got more. I got more to understand him mm-hmm. and to kind of be like, oh, okay, that explains why this, this, and this happens to me. Mm-hmm. Why I'm a certain way or, you know, and there's other factors as well. Like my upbringing and the experience. Hit the mic again. <laughs> my upbringing, my experience through life and everything like that. But it kind of goes back to like, oh, I can see, I can kind of start pinpointing like, all right, that's where it started. It's like um, when you watch... There is a movie, I don't know if you remember it, and I don't remember what it's called, but... um, I love this game. (laughs) Amanda Bynes was in it. Okay. And she found out that her dad was like the prince in London or something, or the king, one of those two. Are you sure it's not... uh, uh, What's her name? Not Amanda Bynes. Um... Oh, you sure it's not Anne Hathaway? Yeah, I'm sure because in this movie, mm-hmm. Amanda Bynes actually meets her father, okay. and they're and they're sitting at the table eating breakfast, and they're side by side doing the same thing with their toast, eating it the same way that nobody else eats it. Oh, is it a uh, is it what a girl wants? Um, who's the father? Uh, I don't know. I'm just looking at the. I'm just looking at the the the. No, there's the a movie poster. There's a British guy who plays her father. Okay. And you know him well. Uh sorry, we're both looking it up right now. Uh-huh. Um I feel like it's what a girl wants, because that's the only thing that has like a British type cover on it. I think it is probably that. Oh, Colin Firth. Okay, yeah, yeah that that's guy. yeah, this movie's British as fuck. <laughs> 
Jonathan Price is in it. Yeah, it's British as fuck. <laughs> um, so anyways, yeah, there's a scene where they're like eating their toast the same way. And so um, when you said that, it made me think of that. <laughs> so you're like, what oh, I love this game. So what a girl wants is essentially the, the PG, PG version of Bones and All. No, <laughs> Um. Anyway, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So like her trying to find uh the Marin character, Taylor, Taylor Russell's character, Taylor, sorry, Taylor Russell's character. Um, you're trying to find her mother and stuff like that. Um, you know that. And you really think that she's not gonna find her because it's mm-hmm. like a shot in the dark. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely all she yeah. had was like the name of a town on her birth certificate. Yeah, and there's also like these. There's all you know, like there's this journey along the way where she meets Lee, she meets Sully, she meets these other characters who um, are like dis- different aspects of these type of people who are called they're called eaters, and there's different like personalities, oh, like with like any society with any type of group with anything like that. There's always these different type of individuals that like fits a certain mold or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think it's funny how Sully was the creep, um, but when you get to like uh, what's the homeboy's name, uh, Michael uh, Stolberg, when you get to his, that was the dude with the overalls and the long mm-hmm. hair and stuff like that. When you get to him, you're like, no, that dude's the fucking creep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also you get to David Gordon Green, you're like, no, that dude's the fucking creep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, she goes like, there's she, different levels of creepy, mm-hmm. like. I think they're both as creepy as each other. Like those two dudes and Sully, mm-hmm. they're just as creepy as each other. But one of them feels like imminent danger, mm-hmm. and the other one feels like it's like something in the shadows, like it's gonna get you at some point and you don't know when. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're both just as creepy, but in different ways. Yeah. So how, like as I was saying, like how Taylor Russell like goes on this journey to kind of like. She goes on the self-discovery journey and shit like that. And there are times where, yeah, you thought that she wasn't going to find her mother. But then when she finds her mother, it, it leads into, like, what well, we had mentioned, this heartbreaking twist. Where her mother is, her, her mother has the same thing. But, it, but she sees how it affects you over time. Which I think, like, I think it was either Sully or, like, Lee had hinted that, like, it's going to become, it's going to get worse. It was Sully. It was Sully? Sully basically said, you know, you're going to have to mm. keep, you're going to have to eat. It gets worse as you get older, so you have to figure your shit out now, basically. Yeah. Like, how are you going to do it? Yeah, and how how the Marin character essentially sees the end result of what happens when she either doesn't try to, I don't know, keep it under control or try to, like, better live with the situation and how... It's done, it's showcased in this very, really fucked up way, where her mother, played by Chloe, Chloe Savini, um, like, end up, like, eating her own hands and shit like that, and mm-hmm. how she's, like, straight on schizo and shit like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, like, that scene where she's reading, um, where she's reading the note that the mother wrote for her, like, what, 15 years ago, or 15 years prior to that meeting, and you're, the camera kind of like goes back and forth between the daughter, the letter, and the mother, and mm-hmm. it keeps, and it almost like, I don't say it's like, I want to say, I want to say it's it's disorienting, but like in a good way, where you're just like, what, like what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? You know? Mm-hmm. And then 
when the when the mother like jumps on her to like try to essentially eat her and shit like that mm-hmm. um you you can get a sense of well i'll 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 ask your opinion on this do you get a, did you get a sense that like the mother was aware that that was her daughter or that she was just like so gone that she was unaware that oh was she her knew oh okay yeah she totally knew that was her daughter okay um the other thing that i found really interesting about that was mm. that you're saying, like, I think you said it opposite of what I think, but you said that the mother is basically what happens, like, what happened to her is mm-hmm. what happens when you don't keep it under control. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what happens, actually, when you deny your, um, deny who you are and mm-hmm. um, the things that you do. Like, you're mm-hmm. not learning how to live with it. You're just completely denying it. Yeah, I yeah, I can definitely see that. Like when you not and not you as in Kelsey you, but like the royal you. Um like when you um yeah, when you act like there's like not an issue like if you have like mental issues and stuff like that, you try to play it off like no, it's like whatever, like until you hurt yourself or hurt yeah, somebody else. Yeah, exactly. You know, that kind of reminds me of of um my kid's uh grandma, not my mother, but like her mother's mother, who clearly has a, a mental disorder, which I believe she has like bipolarism, stuff like that, but she doesn't really seek help mm-hmm. for that. And she has like these outbursts and, and these moments where, you know, she doesn't know how to like take care of herself or like how to handle situations or something like that. And it's and it's kind of just snowball, snowball, snowball until like it becomes an issue. And you know, Within within that family, they have issues, you know, that I, I'm not going to go into, like, full details about mm-hmm. stuff like that. But, like, some of that factor is some of that factor into, like, our relationship falling apart. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I mean, not, not just the bipolarism, but other things as well. But there was the bipolarism that was, like, tacked onto it yeah. as well. Um, and even myself um, and even Kelsey, with our mental issues, we've gotten to a point where we're like, okay... We recognize it. And we have to learn to live with it because, yeah. like, and I've told you recently, too, the more you struggle mm-hmm. to push it away or struggle to find the reason why, mm-hmm. the the more it hurts and yeah. the crazier you feel. Mm-hmm. But if you just accept it and try to go through your day, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't hurt as bad. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. that's how I, my, that's how the connection I got from. The mother in this film, like, mm-hmm. she definitely doesn't accept who she is. And if she could learn ways to cope with it and learn how to, like... The mother or the daughter? The mother. Okay. Um, she wouldn't have ended up where she did. Yeah, probably. I mean, but, it, you know, at, at the same time, it's it, it, it's um, it's something that's completely unnatural. Like, eating other people and, like, this craving and shit like that. Well, it's unnatural for the rest of society. Yeah, it's that's true. It's not unnatural for them. That's true. There are... There are cultures where people perform cannibalism and stuff like that. And it's just as part of their, their society. No, um, I actually view it as like mm. um, they're built that way. Mm, okay. Not like it's part of the, the culture or whatever, but mm. like they're genetically built that way. Like, mm. Like, um, but wouldn't you say that's that has to do with culture as well? Like, I think you can kind of almost get into the same thing, not comparing and not, mm-hmm. you know, this isn't rude or anything, but you know how, like, there are parts of society who say, like, gay people are unnatural, yeah, 
but it, it's not just a cultural thing. Like they're not just choosing to be gay the way some society says. Mm. And you can't fix gay because there's nothing to fix. Mm. Especially for like gay people or LGBTQ people, like mm-hmm. they're happy with who they are. Yeah. So, you know, my thing is with these people, like it's, it, I'm not saying it's good that they're eating other people, but <laughs> like it's kind of that thing, like you can kind of see how they could live with it and mm. like integrate into society and mm, yeah yeah and they and they get into that into the third act where yeah. they're essentially like they've been um the lee and the marin character have been traveling for looks like a mother a uh, matter of months or at least weeks or something like that um and they settle down and it's like oh yeah they're living like a normal life which i hate it i hate it watching that because i was like it's gonna go bad and yeah fuck that for exactly <laughs> But yeah, that's what I that's what I find interesting. Like mm. I it wasn't lost on me the perspective mm. of society views is going would view if they would come out mm. uh would view them as um like Murderers. outcasts yeah, and outcasts, like unnatural and all that mm-hmm, stuff. Yeah. But they're like no, this is normal for us and we're just we're just doing our thing. Yeah, so you can you can actually kind of you can kind of take the whole eating part. Take it out and just apply other forms of what people would consider like an outcast. You can say, yeah, like I said, like gay people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or maybe they. Or here, here's a here's a bit of a funny one. Maybe they were furries. Or <laughs> yeah, furry. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, furries is doing furry thing, but it's totally weird and freaky and shit. Like, that's totally totally weird, freaky furry. I bet you, you know? he is one. <laughs> yeah, he's like a furry during the off season. <laughs> Um. So w- one more thing I want to talk about um, before we before we leave the review is um, the gore factor with mm-hmm. it. Um, earlier I said it was like strategically like laid out. Um, so yeah, there were plenty of times where like the gore the gore didn't really harper uh, harper. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, hinder the storytelling it kind of like i felt like it like really elevated it mm-hmm. you know because these people these eaters who would go into what some people would consider like savagery and stuff like that it's like that's when like it, that's where it seemed like they're the most real that's like when they're the most this is who we are type of like situation stuff like that and it's so, almost like a bonding thing too yeah you're eating with someone else in mm-hmm. a way that you don't eat with other people yeah you know it could be it's like it's like sleeping with people that's pretty intimate like mm-hmm. just falling asleep next to somebody yeah exactly yeah i i didn't think of it like that but yeah that's so true like it was it's a very i mean despite it being gory and bloody it, it is a very intimate thing mm-hmm. where they like are revealing who they are and shit like and that. also the people that they're eating sometimes too mm-hmm. like um like Sully, when he was eating that old lady, like he mm. waited for her to die, but it was almost like, it was almost like how, um, like you watch that. I watched that show, um, Life Below Zero, mm. and they're always like thanking the deer that they kill or whatever. Oh, yeah, it's the type of cultures who, like indigenous cultures, who are like 
yeah, thank you for this food. You know, this will give us energy, will allow us to survive. We appreciate the, the what's been given to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It felt like that where he's like, I'm not going to kill her, but she was already going to die. I could smell it. Yeah. So I just waited for her to die and now I can eat. Like, yeah, I, I felt like there was no, it's funny because they paint him as kind of like, Maybe he is harmless. Yeah, they and they give him like a they put a like a like a mentor lens on him. Like, okay, this is how Marin's gonna learn the ways of the ears and stuff. Yeah, because like he doesn't want to hurt anybody. Yeah, and I mean, then, not until later. Though. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> yeah. then he's like totally obsessed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <sighs> man, that ending really upset me. Because <laughs> I even wanted them to like live happy. Me too. <laughs> yeah, that that part where Sully like shows up out of fucking nowhere. It okay, so that almost kind of took me out of the movie, right? And not because like I had I had like completely forgotten about the character. That character is hard to forget, mm-hmm. you know. But there was like that confrontation between Sully and and Marin, um, where he was like called her like a cunt and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought like, all right, that'll probably be the end of it, right? Uh-huh. So then he like shows up, and I almost. One, it almost took me out, and two, I almost started laughing because, like, the way how he looked. Uh-huh. Like, he looked like a dad. <laughs> I didn't see dad. I saw dark, like. Oh, no, no, I know, I know, I know, but, like, I mean, yeah, there's dark, but just, like, I, I guess it was, like, his clothes or something like that, like, the shorts he was wearing or I something. I thought he looked like, um, like an adult mm-hmm. with, uh, with not a mental disorder, but, like. Like, like maybe his he was his, his growth was a little stunted. No, like his parents should have been taking care of him mm. until they were too old too. Yeah, and yeah. so he was like an adult wearing like Boy Scout clothes. Oh, that's so creepy. I know. <laughs> that's what I. That's what I was yeah. like. Huh. Yeah, but like it kind of it kind of so that it took me out for like a, it took me out for a second, but then like when he was honor and stuff like that, it was weird because like. You couldn't understand what he was going to do with her, mm-hmm. like, or I felt like I couldn't understand what he was going to do with her. Like he, like she, she implied that like that he wanted her sexually, and he was just like, "No, I don't want that." But it was like, "All right, what is he trying to gain from this?" You know. I think, I think I don't know if you figured it out, but for mm-hmm. me, the way I read it was that um, he was going to manhandle her either mentally or physically into. Mm-hmm agreeing to go with him mm. or he was going to eat her yeah and and okay. like i kind of felt like there was a part of him that didn't believe that she would go with him willingly mm-hmm. and that's why he was on her with a knife but at the same time there was like this part of him that he didn't kill her yet because he was really really hoping she would yeah, that maybe he maybe it would be like a like a whole Stockholm syndrome kind of thing where mm-hmm. captive enough that she'll like turn she'll start turning to to liking him or want to travel with him. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> um. I think there was a part that took me out a little bit. You know what that part was? Um, it was. I think it was just before that where I think they just decided, oh, we're gonna let's go settle down somewhere. Like mm. it was like out of nowhere. And Marin was like, I want to go do this and have a normal life. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like yeah. it's, it, that was the only part for me that was unnatural. Mm. Um, 
it took me out just for a split second. Yeah, I can see. I can see why because the characters had made a decision to like go out west, mm-hmm. and the truck and to travel. Yeah, and the travel and like the truck they were driving just wasn't working anymore, or it was it was beginning to break down. Mm-hmm. Then she kind of was like, "Yeah, let's just go and settle down somewhere." Yeah. Um, but the way she how she did it was very like yeah naive. I can see. Yeah, I can see that kind of. Like overly say, naive. Yeah, I can see that kind of taking you, and now I'm thinking about taking me kind of out of the out of the movie for a little bit. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't. It takes. It's literally like five seconds. Yeah, <laughs> you're which, back in it. Yeah, which I think, which I think goes into like the the skill level of the writing and the directing. Even if it's something that shouldn't work, it you just like if something shouldn't work, it still does work. Or if it doesn't work and you just can't ignore, it, then it's like all right. One second later, I'm back into it. And yeah, like that, which you know, like I said, gives kudos like, to yeah, the creative team. You call it. You kind of also know, like, mm. you need the story to move forward. So yeah. sometimes you don't have a choice. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, consensus. Consensus. Mm-hmm. Check it out. I concur. You consensus. Concur? Concur. Concur. <laughs> yeah, this movie's definitely worth checking out. Um, yeah, especially because, like, the rain directing and the style of it. The cinematography. Oh, and the wonderful soundtrack. Yeah. The I like wonderful soundtrack. All of it. Yeah. The bones and all. <laughs> the bones of the movie are good. I, uh, I, so you're just going to eat it up, bones I, and all. I did kind of chuckle a little bit when, the, when Timothy Chalamet said it at the end. He's like, I want you to eat me. Bones and all. <laughs> I was like, yeah, he said the, he said the title. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and, and then the eating, they call it boning. Did they call it boning? Well, at least Sully did, I think. Yeah, talking about, like, eat, like, eating everything, right? Yeah. I do remember that, yeah, yeah. Which does Bone. not mean that in real life. I know, right? <laughs> outside, the, outside the eaters, that sounds totally different. That's totally different meeting. <laughs> All right, um, what do we got next? Next, we're going to do our variety time. German flesh cake. I just like saying that. That is our variety time segment. Yeah. Um, so since we just got done talking about, you know, bones and all, which does cover the uh, the idea of cannibalism. Uh, I figured, uh, I read Kelsey a nice little story about another cannibal. Is it a bedtime story? It's a bedtime story, so get your blanket, grab your warm milk. Do they live happily ever after? I think one of them does. (laughs) Um, so, there's a story that, there's a story that happened in 2001, and I remember kind of hearing about this story, right? Mm. Um, about somebody eating somebody else but like the person who was getting eaten was willingly getting eaten right mm-hmm. um and i weren't they like cooking like some the person was cooking their meat and feeding it to them too um i don't remember that or i or maybe my I, my memory on that is not so well endowed traverse or whatever um but i found this lovely article on allthatinteresting.com. Uh, the name of the article is Meet Aaron Airman Muse, the German cannibal who placed an online ad to eat someone. 
and someone answered uh, by Katie uh, Serena. So we're going to find out if, uh, hopefully within this article, if that person fed that person their own flesh. So known as the Rodenberg uh, cannibal, Armin Muse uh, killed and ate a willing victim named uh, Bernin Brandis in 2001 before storing the leftovers for 20 months in a hidden freezer. Uh, Muse spent much of his use devouring <laughs> devouring German fairy tales. <laughs> the puns. Uh, he was particularly fond of Hansel and Gretel. That's funny. And its evil witch who adopted two children to fatten them up for slaughter. With a lifelong urge to eat somebody uh, himself, Muse found a willing participant online who agreed to have his penis cut off and eaten. Why that part? <laughs> Let's find out. <laughs> That's not the story I was thinking of. The other one was much more recent. Oh, okay, okay. Um, uh, the incident in March 2001 of Germany in shock and Muse infamous as the Rottenberg cannibal. Muse was a computer repair technician who mowed his neighbor's lawn, helped friends fix their cars, and hosted charming dinner parties. Yum yum. <laughs> <laughs> Abandoned by his father as a boy, however, he became obsessed with serial killers and desperate to taste human flesh. His mother died. Okay. Uh, and then after the 39-year-old placed an ad on a now-defunct forum called the Cannibal Cafe for a young, well-built man who wanted to be eaten. Mm-hmm. So just place an ad in the newspaper like, or online, boom, he gets an answer. And after, 40, and after 43-year-old engineer Bern, uh, Bernard Brandis uh, replies with interest, Muse agreed. So Brandis left his home in uh, Berlin through Muse's house in Rottenburg and took 20 sleeping pills to dull the pain of the amputation. The first bite was, of course, very strange, Muse said in a 2016 interview with The Independent. He goes on, it was, feeling, it was a feeling I can't really describe. I spent over 40 years longing for it, dreaming about it, and now I was getting the feeling that I was actually achieving this perfect interconnection through his flesh. The flesh tastes like pork but stronger also i wonder is you're eating someone who took 20 sleeping pills oh if you're gonna kind of are you gonna get sleepy i don't think so (laughs) maybe you like go for the stomach first or some shit like that no because well i'm saying because you're metabolizing it Mm -hmm. so it's in your system i don't know it's not like only in your stomach i feel like we should try to find that out maybe it's more surrounding your liver Probably that I would I would I would I would say that if it's around your liver. Mm. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, metabolized to the liver and everything like that. Yeah, I would say that. So, Muse was born uh, December first, nineteen sixty one, in Essen, Germany. Uh, while he had two half brothers on his father's side, uh, the Patrich, the Partridge, and his favorite two children abandoned Muse. Patriarch. Patriarch. Thank you. The Patriarch and his two favorite children abandoned Muse when he was. Five years old. Raised in a 44-room farmhouse by a single mother. Uh, 44 rooms? Sorry, 40. Yeah, 44-room farmhouse. Okay. <laughs> by a single mother, uh, Walter Muse. He became obsessed with true crime and cannibal and carnal taboos. He recalls struggling as uh, the newfound man of the house and first pondered eating his classmates 
as a schoolboy. So this dude was hungry for that flesh at an early age. Mm-hmm. Um, Muse invented an imaginary brother named Frankie, fuck, to share his cannibalistic thoughts with somebody. According to the Irish Times, this fascination grew into adulthood, but truly came to a head when his mother died in 1999. That is some really mental thing when you have a... Because uh, I, I think we all... It makes me think of Moon Knight. <laughs> I think we all grow up like with an imaginary friend. We all have an idea of an imaginary friend. Not me. You didn't have an imaginary... I, I thought you would have an imaginary friend. I did not. I had an imaginary friend. I couldn't remember his name for the life of me. Mm. Uh, but as you get older, you put away these childish things, and now you become an adult. Maybe he was a superhero. <laughs> like Moon Knight? Yeah. Uh, I think I don't think Moon Knight would eat anybody. I don't know. You never know. <laughs> Muse now had free reign over the expansive property and spent an entire year reading serial killer biographies. Um, his urges only grew after he found a second life with like-minded people online. Oh, boy. <laughs> Muse posted on the Cannibal Cafe as Anthropogus. A-N-T-R-O-P-H-A-G-U-S. Anthropophagus? Wait, that's not right. (laughs) Let me open the thing that you're reading. And the funny thing is, there is a there is an Italian horror film with that with that title. Um, or with that with that word for the title. Can you put your cursor where you're at? Uh, down here. Anthropophagus. Anthropophagus. Okay, Cannibal Cafe as Anthropophagus or Frankie, and succeeded in finding gay men with cannibalistic fetishes. This is kind of reminding me of Army Hammer right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why Muse met several men in hotel rooms to role play the act. None agreed to go through with it. Muse even ch- ch- turned one man down who wanted to be beaten to death. <laughs> Muse was like, that's my limit, bro. <laughs> I'll eat you, but I won't beat the shit out of you. Which Muse considered weird, <laughs> according to the Daily Mail. On March 6, 2001, however, he chatted with a user named uh, Cater99, who said he wanted his penis bitten off and to be killed. Ooh, fuck. <laughs> I felt that one. Uh, that user was uh, Siemens engineer Bernard... Burned. Oh, is it Bernard? Yeah. Burn. Sorry. Burn. Jurgen. Burn Jurgen Brandis. Brandis? Brandis? Mm, sure. Let's go with Brandis. Burn Jurgen Brandis. And he was uh, prepared to be slaughtered. According to Harper's, um, he agreed to Muse's proposal, which read in part, oof, this is what it read. After you're dead, I'll take you out and expertly carve you up. Uh, Except for a pair of knees and some fleshy trash, skin, uh, cartilage, tendons. There won't be much of you left. I'll dry out the knees and grind them up soon after. You won't be... You won't be the last, hopefully. He's already working on another victim. I've already considered catching a young person from the street. Damn, this dude is moving fast. I know. (laughs) He's moving fast. All right. So Muse and Bern um, Brandis continue exchanging passionate, that word, passionate, (laughs) messages online until March 9th when Brandis took the day off. He had sold all his personal belongings, including a sports car, and erased his hard drive before the big day. Erase his hard drive. 
Wow. That is some shady shit, right? Well, I'm already he's for first of all, this dude's already shady as fuck, mm-hmm. right? Brandon's shady as fuck. But the fact he had a ra- he erased his hard drive, which means there was probably a lot of illegal stuff on there, probably like kitty porn or some shit like that. There probably was. Um, but also, like at the same time, you're dooming the person who's going to eat you, mm-hmm. in a way because, like, it, I don't know, like they could probably find the stuff on his computer, but yeah, to find evidence on your own computer would probably be better. Um, I like to think, um, I like to think that uh, if I die in some horrible accident or something like that, Kelsey is going to. Um, it's going to find my hard drive that has all my, like, legalized pornography <laughs> and just set it on fire. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just, like, delete my Facebook account. <laughs> just, like, get all rid of all my shit. Delete your Facebook? You can't have anything on there that's not good. Or, I mean, questionable, maybe. But Yeah, that's true. That's true. But uh, I want to be erased from existence. If you're not on Facebook, do you still exist? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um. He bought a one-way ticket to Castle, where uh, Muse was waiting to drive him to his house. After stopping at a pharmacy for painkillers, the men uh, arrived at uh, Muse's house and had sex. Oh. I wonder if they cuddled after. <laughs> um, Brandis briefly backed out of the agreement, but then swallowed the sw- 20, sw- sorry, 20 sleeping pills, cough syrup, and a bottle of schnapps. 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 To go through with it. Oh, that dude was lit. <laughs> Muse made sure to videotape the ordeal with Brandis saying, now do it. Oof. Oof. Oh, my God. State officials and bold internet sleuths have only seen what happened next. Oh, my God. Um, now you're thinking, oh, I got to find this video. <laughs> I'm kind of curious, but I'm afraid if I start looking... FBI's gonna kick down my door or some shit like that. I, I'd imagine you I imagine you can find that easily, like on the dark web or something like that. Mm. First, Armin Muse uh tried satisfying Brandis' request to bite the penis off, but failed. How did he fail with that? Uh he then used a kitchen knife and tried feeding it to Brandis, but it was too tough to chew. Muse then fried it with salt, pepper, wine, gar- and garlic and Brandis Brandis's own fat. That sounds like an interesting dish. <laughs> I say that because I <laughs> I say that because before we recorded, I I cooked I cooked dinner for Kelsey and, and her kids. And now I'm like looking at this recipe, I'm like, hmm. Okay. All right. Interesting. <laughs> Needs more salt. I know, right? My dish actually needed more salt. Which I was like, what? I know. I was like, what the fuck is wrong with me? I must be off my game today. Um, ultimate, ultimately, uh, Burn Brandis only managed to gulp down one bite. His continuous blood loss was so extreme that he went in and out of consciousness. After accidentally burning the penis, I felt like I should have gave people. We should have gave people a warning. That's what I was thinking too. <laughs> Should have gave people a warning. <laughs> it's <gets> pretty graphic. <laughs> Muse grounded up and fed it to his dog. He then drew Brandis uh, a bath and left to read a Star Trek book, checking for Brandis every fifteen minutes. Why did he draw him a bath? 
I don't know. Like, he's like, you know, enjoy your death. I know. Put some bubbles in there and put some candles and some shit. Hmm. I wonder why the bubbles are pink. (laughs) You know, it's funny when he, when it says Star Trek book back then, I don't know if it's really seen as that, seen as now, but back then, Trekkies were known as like fucking weirdos. They were like the lepers of the fucking the nerd society yeah yeah exactly um so yeah um brandon's check uh sorry yeah he checked on brandon's every uh, 15 minutes while cannibalism wasn't a crime in germany at the time murder was muse prayed for brandon's to regain consciousness but then he stabbed him in the throat <laughs> killing him i hope you regain consciousness <laughs> nah, never mind <laughs> yeah never mind <laughs> So, Muse hung his body on a meat hook to drain, dismembered it on a butcher's block, and placed it placed his flesh in a meal-sized portion in the in his freezer. Okay, so we're coming up to the end, folks. Um, so I, de- I as a quote, I dedicated the table with decorated. Nice, uh, yeah, I decorated the candle. Can- I decorated the table with nice candles. Muse, a set muse of his first meal. I took out my best dinner service and fried a piece of rump steak, a piece from his back, made what I call Prince Potatoes and Sprouts. Thank you. Uh, Princess, excuse me, Potatoes and Sprouts. After I prepared my meal, I ate it. Muse kept his promise to uh, burn Brandis and buried his skull and other edible body parts in the garden. Inedible. Inedible body parts, thank you. Inedible parts in the garden. Over the next 20 months, the Roddenberg uh, cannibal ate 44 pounds of his flesh. Muse had also recorded all four hours of the mutilation, fuck, which authorities would enter into evidence for one of Germany's most shocking post-war trials. I don't think... I would want to be a. I would want to be a juror in like a lot of cases. Not that one. Yeah. I don't. I like. Yeah, like it's like. Oh yeah, I could find a video of that. Blah blah blah. blah. But when you think about the dismemberment for four hours, I think I'd be like, yeah, I need medication for the rest you of think my they life. Wa- do you think they had to watch the entire four hours? Yes. Fuck! Can you imagine trying to pick that jury out? Now, sir, um, we got a really strange case. Uh, we need you to be the, the juror on. Um, a regular guy ate somebody, and it's gonna be pretty graphic. Yen or not? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and here's like a dollar. Here's two fifty for <laughs> two fifty a day for your hard work. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, the article continues. Muse was only caught on December tenth. 2002 so this was like a good um yeah good 20 months wow um he had continued to seek out victims online until an austrian student reported him to the police uh when they entered his home they found a false bottom in his freezer and and pounds of flesh while muse said it was while boar meat the officers also found the footage of the kill of his killing while his crime suggests insanity and Muse was diagnosed with uh, schizoid personality disorder, he was deemed fit to stand trial, according to NBC. The proceedings began on December 3rd, uh, 2003, and saw Armin Muse convicted of manslaughter on January 10th. Oh, sorry, January 30th, 2004. Wow. Sentenced to only eight years and six months in prison, he, was, he has since become a vegetarian. <laughs> I feel like that's the wildest part. 
It is. <laughs> what the hell? This dude only got eight years. Can you imagine him him being put in jail and nobody wants to be within 10 feet of him? They're like, no <laughs> to that guy. I um, also feel like he might have got off light because the guy clearly was like, yes, kill me. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sh- and I'm, I'm sure within within the video, you know, he uh, that like there is some level of like, you know, my name is Bern uh, Brandis. I do consent to being eaten alive, blah, 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 or something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, ultimately, a German court retired Muse in April 2005 as the prosecutors argued he should have been tried for murder. While he was sentenced to life in prison on May 10, 2006, Muse has recently been permitted to one of the streets in disguise as part of his rehabilitation. Wait, I'm confused. Um, he was convicted of manslaughter. While he was sentenced to life in prison, 2006, I guess there was another trial. Yeah, because well, he was be- retried. Oh, because it's a different country. You can be oh. tried. I guess double jeopardy is not a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is that's that's weird. How he gets convicted for manslaughter, sentenced to eight years, and then he gets sentenced to life in prison. Maybe because it was I don't know. That's kind of weird. Because the prosecutor said he should have been tried for murder. Well, he was sentenced in life to prison in May 10, 2016. Muse has recently been permitted to wander the streets in disguise as part of a really bad attention. That's such a weird, that, like a weird journey through prison. Yeah, that's that's the court. That's, I don't know, like, German laws are weird, I guess. He makes me think of the one guy from, uh, from She-Hulk. Which one from? The, the guy. The Abomination? Uh, yeah. How so? <laughs> because he's... Oh, go on. I think I got it, but go on. Because he's such, like, he's a killer, and he's, like, really, like, scary yeah, and like shit. Like a monster and shit. And yeah. then he's all, like, peace, love, and I, light. I know, namaste. <laughs> <laughs> and you never know when the other shoe's gonna drop. cinematic of Tony Scott's The Hunger. Sarah Roberts is in jeopardy. Hey, lady. How about it? Stay with her. Help her, for she has begun to feel the awful horror of The Hunger. John Blaylock. The Hunger has given him everlasting life. Until now, pray for him. Miriam Blaylock. She feeds one day in seven on the unsuspecting, and soon she will turn into something that you will never be able to forget. No matter how hard and how long you try, fear her. What have you done to me? This film came out in 1983, and the synopsis is, A love triangle develops between a beautiful yet dangerous vampire, her cellist companion, and a gerontologist. Directed by Tony Scott, written by James Costigan and Michael Thomas. It stars Catherine Deneuve, David Bowie, and Susan Sarandon. So yeah, The Hunger. Um, Not The Hunger Games. You, you know what? 
every time I would try to type in this movie to just to look it up, it would just the Hunger Games would keep popping up. <laughs> um, yeah, that was that got annoying really fast. Uh, so yeah, The Hunger. This is actually a movie I've been meaning to watch for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the reasons is because it stars my boo, David Bowie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this was an interesting watch. Um, I feel like the synopsis doesn't really do it justice, though, because it's kind of misleading. Is it really? Some of it. Some of it's kind of misleading. We'll we'll get into we'll get into why. Um, yeah, but you know, as usual, no one gives a shit about what I think. Especially not my former employers, because they fired my ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what matters the most is, what does Kelsey think about this movie? I like this movie. Um, mm-hmm. Some of it's kind of dated. or Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I think it has some pacing issues. Yeah, it, it, it's funny because, I mean, because this is Tony Scott's first feature film. Um, and at the time, he was more known as a uh, commercial director. And some of the direction really comes off like that. Mm-hmm. Like the quick cutaways or like the the fast kind of like movement of the certain, like even like slow motion kind of shots and stuff like that. You would swear that some of the aspects of, of this, like the way how it's shot, you could like replace it and be like, oh, yeah, this is like a commercial for like a new cologne or a new like Calvin Klein type clothes or some shit like that, mm-hmm. um, which is what I felt at some of the shots that they were doing. Yeah, I agree. Um, so what did, what did you like about this movie? I like how they aged David Bowie. Yeah, that makeup design was actually really fucking good. The makeup was good, but also, like, how they portrayed him aging fast like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like they would cut away, and then they'd come back, and he was older. And, like, I just really liked that. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely didn't seem, like, disjointed or anything like that. Like, you know how, like... And I think that kind of goes into like how how the aging makeup really works because you know you can uh, key example. Let's go with key example. There is um, uh, there's a character in uh, Ridley Scott's uh, Prometheus played by an actor who's not that old, but he has all this prosthetics on and stuff like that to make him look old. Mm-hmm. But it it just looks so out of place. Yeah. Um, where in this one, I think it doesn't look out of place on David Bowie. That's true. Mm. Though you really can't see his eyes that well when his eyelids start drooping. Yeah, th- there are a couple of shots I, I, I could see it, but yeah, you're right, because it was like sagging, like eyebrows dropping or some shit like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I also liked Susan Sarandon in this movie. Mm-hmm. I think she was kind of like the breakout person. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen her in anything where I was like, wow, she's really attractive. Uh-huh. Except this one because anytime i've seen her she was already middle age or older yeah, yeah and not see. really wearing makeup or whatever and her yeah. eyes got bulgy when she got older yeah <laughs> damn <laughs> um so yeah um i thought she was the breakout star in this one and mm-hmm. um i think it's funny how she she didn't really believe david bowie's character that he was aging really fast and mm-hmm. he needed her help yeah um but she didn't take a very long time to be like oh yeah i believe you now <laughs> like yeah that's like, true you know what i mean like if you saw something like that you'd be like 
you just switched someone else out and like you're playing a fucking prank i know on me. yeah right exactly but she didn't do that she's like oh wait wait i believe you now <laughs> yeah and like chase after him and shit like which is i'm kind of conflicted of like how does she know where you live that that's what i was thinking too like yeah. how did you find out where he lived yeah it's not like and it's not like he left a number and address he like got up and was like fuck this shit and took off yeah yeah and they didn't really have internet I mean, they probably did on some level, but not... No, not like how it is now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, like, exactly. how do you find someone's address? Yeah, exactly. Or maybe she looked in the phone book. I don't know. I highly doubt that they're they're using their real names and putting it in the phone books. Well, I don't think those were the, his their real names. Yeah. I think those were different names, but... Yeah, but, like, to put it in the phone book, I, I don't think they, they'd be doing that. Probably they were unlisted. Yeah, yeah. She's like, she's looking for unlisted and old. Oh, there he is. <laughs> so, what did you, what did you think of the, um, um, so what did you think of Catherine, um, uh, what's her name? Deneuve. Yeah, Catherine Deneuve. Catherine Deneuve is like this well known French actress. Um, I had read, I had read the IMDb trivia and, had found out that like David Bowie was actually intimidated by her, mm-hmm. which is just David fucking Bowie, you know, yeah. like Zeus shouldn't be intimidated by anybody. Um, what did you think of her performance? I thought it was good, but a lot of times she came off as cold. Yeah. So I guess I wasn't totally in love with her, mm-hmm. her acting. Yeah. It, it's funny because like her character is supposed to be, her character is supposed to be cold towards the David Bowie's character because of how, how like the weird type of like um logistics they have with the with the whole vampirism and shit like that like the fact that like that the fact that you you only live as long as like as as um as the character allows you to live uh what's her name this this way Miriam Blaylock yeah Blaylock yeah how Miriam Blaylock um, how that character, if she like, depending on how much she loves you and wants you to keep you around, she'll keep you around. But if, but as she, if she no longer has those feelings towards you, you like your body will like slowly deteriorate. Right? I did not get that at all. That, that's how that's how I understood it because this movie doesn't really get into the details of like how the things work as they do. Well, they don't. But you also got a sense that like. Miriam Blaylock didn't want him to leave. She's like, this always happens. Yeah. And she's like, and I haven't figured out a way to make it not happen. Mm-hmm. So I I took it as there was just something wrong with the people that she turns that eventually, they, like they have an expiration. Mm. So I don't know. Uh, yeah, Okay. Because I don't think vampires, like, no one will watch a vampire movie if it was like that. Well, I, this one, I mean, this one takes the whole vampirism thing and, like, changes it a little bit. I mean, if, even to the point where, like, they're out in the daylight. Like, they, obviously, daylight does not affect these vampires. Mm-hmm. So, I'm, they're, like, trying to, Tony Scott and uh, James... Uh, Costigan? James Costigan and Michael Thomas are, like, trying to change up that whole lore and stuff like that, which I... I have to give them kudos for doing that, but at the same time, I wish they explained it a little bit better so I can kind of understand, like, okay, well, how is logistically, how is this working? But also, like, logistically, how is it working that she puts all of her past lovers in boxes Uh because supposedly they're either dead or they just can't 
Yeah, they're Move like, yeah, like, like um, from from what I read, it was like the never ending death. So they're con- they're just constantly rotting away. But they can't reanimate. If you get a sense, like they can't reanimate. Yeah, and yeah. somehow they do. Like, yeah, which they don't really get into either. Like, why that happened? Yeah. You know? Um, but but back to what I was saying because we were taking a whole tirade elsewhere. Um, but what I was saying about um, the. The Miriam character, how she's supposed to be cold towards David Bowie's character. Um, and it works, but like, I'm not seeing, I, it was, I really couldn't get a sense of like, why, you know, you would, why somebody would want to like, be with this woman for all, for all, like. I think it's on this side. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to plug in my laptop. Um, why you would want to, what, what, what. What would entrance you to get into that lifestyle, to that the whole vampirism kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Like, I get her character is very beautiful, elegant, you know, has been around for like thousands and thousands of years and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, and I, and I don't know, it was like, it was interesting because like the, the relationship between Susan Sarandon character and the Catherine Deneuve character, like it was there, but it seemed like very superficial. Yeah, um, which I you know I could have I could have used a little bit more like in depth type of like I don't know storytelling I guess to kind of understand why she why would, there was an attraction yeah why there's attraction other than like these are just two hot ladies yeah. <laughs> it seems like that was the whole crux of the movie <laughs> yeah. we just want to see some lesbians <laughs> yeah like this movie this movie's not like really it's not really like a thinking film. It is, it is, a. I think it is really it, Well, good it is a thinking film if you're like, what the fuck is I, that all about? Yeah, well, you try to come to your own conclusions <laughs> yeah. of like, okay, I guess, <laughs> yeah. What are the logistics of that? Yeah, right. That's, that, that was like their whole point. <laughs> Which would be like, we won't be able to think about this movie, but just make up the shit in their head. So we don't have to do the heavy lifting. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what did you think of uh, Tony Scott's uh, directing? I feel like. I feel like you might have watched a few Tony Scott films. I don't know if I have, but um, did you say you like Man on Fire? Yes. Okay, that's a Tony Scott, but that's like later Tony Scott movies. I feel like I feel like the the true essence of Tony Scott movies is like eighties to like early nineties. Mm. Oh wait, you have seen another Tony Scott film? Hmm. Only the, one of the greatest pilot movies ever, Top Gun. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um. What was your question? What did you think of his uh, Tony Scott's directing? Uh, I didn't like it. Oh, really? I mean, you have to have the story make sense for one. Mm-hmm. Um, I like some of the visual things that he did, like in the very beginning when it's opening. Oh, yeah, where it's like intercut between um, Bowie's character and uh, Denevue's character um, intercut with like Bauhaus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, playing. So I liked that, um, but also I was like, this is very much of its time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I still liked it. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I think some of it's just like a little bit too artsy mm-hmm. in a way that's like so dated that you can't really understand. There's no re- rhyme or reason for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like they do some like Dutch, ink, like the downward 
like Dutch angles, I think. Yeah. Right? Because D- Dutch angles aren't all up, right? No, Dutch angles is when the, the camera's like tilted. That's yeah. a Dutch angle. Like, I swear some of it was like they were up and it was tilted and you could see oh, like the, light filtering uh, through windows and stuff. Okay, yeah, I can see that. And I'm like... And then there was like this whole like... It was almost like a Chekhov's gun type thing mm-hmm. that amounted to nothing. What was the what was the what was Chekhov's gun? The note that the um the girl that they were teaching how to play or they were playing uh music with her, mm-hmm. she wrote a note and put it in the hand of a statue. And nothing mm-hmm. ever happened with it. Oh, that's a, oh because she I, like, I felt like that note I felt like that note was uh it really had no point into the movie. No, but you... Then why have it? Why show her putting it in the hand of a statue mm. where clearly no one would fucking find it unless oh, they were doing you a know search? What? Yeah, I take that back. Yeah, because you... Because because there because there's a character who shows up in this movie um, and it's played by... Uh, it's, a, he's a, it's, a, it's a detective... Um, played by, uh, let me get the actor's name real quick. Um, played by Dan uh, Hadea, who's he's a lieutenant, he's a detective, he's trying to find uh, this girl who disappeared. Um, yeah, and she like leaves a hand note for for Miriam to read. And yeah, you because like this detective was trying to figure out what happened to this girl and everything, and clearly he thinks. Um, David Bowie characters and Catherine uh, Deneuve's character are like somewhat involved, so you would figure that like he's gonna see that note or some shit like that, mm-hmm. and that would be like the television. But yeah, I, yeah. Now that you point that out, yeah, that's a problem. That's definitely a problem. <laughs> I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it was a Chekhov's gun. I think the Chekhov's gun was the necklace. And then the necklace. Yeah, remember the necklace that they were wearing that had like the knife. Oh, that had a little knife in it. For me, that thing was like, um, only symbolizing. That they were a part of a society, not mm-hmm. as much like, oh, you're going to find this and find me out, but more like we're a part of this thing together now. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, but like, like, because the way how I, like the reason why I say it is like the Chekhov's gun is because this thing has been is around the vampire's neck. It's used to like slice somebody's throat so they can get the blood and everything. And then it pops like eventually it pops up again around Susan Sarandon's neck, who's like, um, who like stabs herself mm-hmm. with it you know like these people who use this weapon to feed themselves well what happens when the victim decides to like stab himself and like use their blood as a weapon which you had to like really do mental hurdles just for that part i guess i just felt like that wasn't strong enough to make it mm-hmm. a check off gun like they don't really hide that thing they keep showing it throughout the entire film and i yeah. feel like a check gun really mm-hmm. is something that shows up once mm-hmm. And then you don't really see it again until it's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can have different definitions of it. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, no, I take that back. I'm sorry. That's kind of me just um, minimize, minimizing what you're saying. I, I do agree with you that it's too much. It's, it, it's, it's not a Chekhov's gun in the sense that, like, yeah, you see it once or twice and, like, it comes back later. But, yeah, you do see it multiple times, like... Here, here's Chekhov's gun. Here's Chekhov's gun. Here's Chekhov's gun. You know. Yeah. Um. What ended up happening with that detective? 
Well, remember he like went to the house where after it was already like emptied and everything. He, yeah, he'd been there like a few times. Yeah, and there was that realtor who was just like, "Oh, the owners of the this place died, and then the house is being sold, and all the proceeds is being donated to some charity event or some charity." Uh-huh. And he's just like, "Hmm, okay." And like that's it. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> it definitely did not lean hard enough into the story that it was creating, uh-huh. and it just wanted to be about vampires and and how how luscious they look. And yeah, um, one thing I definitely want to mention was the opening of this movie. You can tell it heavily influenced the opening of Blade. Really? Yeah, where like in in the hunger there's like this goth like underground party happening by houses playing this really intense soundtrack and then here are like two people who are shady but they're doing something intimate or some shit like that separately and everything like that and they're they're goth out and everything like that and wow they're vampires and shit right which is almost the exact same things what almost the exact same thing that happens in blade in the Mm -hmm. first blade movie right where it's this underground party it's not goth oh it's kind of it's kind of goth but it's underground party you know there is a dj playing this really intense music these shady characters are going to this party and they come to find out the vampires it's almost the exact same fucking thing instead of the only difference is that you know a six foot tall black man doesn't show up with a shotgun with silver stakes in it um i feel like we should talk about the ending yes because that ending doesn't really make sense not at all and then come to find out it was not the original uh it was not the original ending um let me find let me find this quote that set um what's her name? I'm about to say Kathleen Jones. Uh Susan Sarandon had Sarandon had said. Uh let me go find it. The, the thing about it is mm-hmm. you know, I said I like the film, but I'm I'm gonna take that back. Okay. I don't like the film. Mm. I like parts of it. Mm-hmm. But overall, mm-hmm. there's too many problems mm. with the directing with the story mm. um yeah because some of it some of it's kind of disjointed so d- if it doesn't make any sense and it wants to be superficial mm-hmm. then i'm out mm. um so uh here here's here's the information i found so uh, actress susan sarandon once said of the movie's changed ending uh the thing that made the film interesting to me was the question of would you want to live forever uh if you were addicted which you know kind of I think it's interesting because it, it actually goes on to it actually tacks well with our discussion with uh, bones and all, which I kind of came to the conclusion that the movie is also about addiction. Um, so uh, it continues, but as the film progressed, the powers that uh, be rewrote the ending and decided that I wouldn't die. So what was the point? All the rules that we spent the entire film uh, delineating, delineating, delineating. Thank you. That Miriam lived forever and was indestructible, and all the people uh, that she transformed eventually all died, and that I killed myself rather than be addicted was ignored. Suddenly, I was kind of living. She was kind of half dying. Nobody knew what was going on, and I thought that was a shame. Yeah. Um, so I had read that they changed the ending because 
they thought that it might be a possibility for this movie to get a sequel because they're in the eight because horror films um tend to make sequels or mm-hmm. they, they tend to have sequels be made and stuff like that so they were so the studio or whoever was like let's change the ending which i think it, it really it really uh took an impact on the film that the, from what i read it was actually like a box office flop mm-hmm. and it was actually so bad that tony scott went back to making commercials because he was like i'm not making movies anymore because fuck this yeah um fortunately you know that changed because of top gun um i don't mind the movie i'm not a fan of it though i'm already forgetting it you're already forgetting it like i just know that Mm. i was like i was okay with it because i like david bowie Uh and it was nice to see him in like a semi-serious role whereas like some of the other things that we watched oh like labyrinth were just well not that one because Mm. i felt like he was really doing a character Uh like but that one where he was like a an alien. Oh, the man who fell to Earth. Yeah. Yeah. Like some of that shit's just too out there. I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was nice to see him actually acting. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'm just and I like some of the ideas that they don't lean hard enough into. So I'm a little mm-hmm. frustrated. Like it's like um, like. Like film critic blue balls. No, oh, gotcha. you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I get you. I, I totally get you. I totally get you. No, no proper release or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. No, I totally get you. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I I like I I liked it, but like I didn't love it. I was hoping I was. I'll tell you, I was actually hoping to love it because it's, you know, it's a it's a vampire story. It's David Bowie. It's Tony Scott. I'm thinking like, all right, this actually probably be a good movie, but it wasn't really that good. We actually found this on the Criterion Collection, so obviously there are people who are fascinated by this movie. Um, it, it's it has a strong cult following, especially like in the goth community, mm-hmm. um, which you know makes sense. Um, but yeah, I wasn't like a huge fan of it. Like uh, I was so I wasn't like hating it after we're done watching it, but yeah. I was like, all right, I'm done with this shit. Yeah. When we started watching Near Dark, I was like, can we do this one instead? Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, we watched we watched The Hunger, um, and we had plenty of time to kill. So I was like, oh shit, Near Dark's about to leave Criterion Channel. You should definitely watch this. And we watched it, and we're like, yeah, it's a good movie. <laughs> I mean, I had seen it before. But also kind of matches really well with uh, Bones and All. Bones and All. Um, yeah, and we watched that, and then we watched The Hidden. Yeah. Which I, I still I still love that movie. I mean, that movie is problem, it's pro- not problematic, it has problems, but I still love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what's your final say of it? Does it hold up? No. Nope. I agree with you, it's very dated. Um, it, it, it's I a, will say, like, people who are Bowie fans, uh, I don't think anyone's really a huge Susan Sarandon fan anymore. Yeah, she's kind of shot her, shot her, shot herself in the foot politically speaking. But also, she hasn't done anything really relevant. You know, you know, it's funny that you say that. Um, in like a long time. It's funny that you say that because I've been listening to this podcast called Marvel's Wastelanders, mm-hmm. um, and it's like these Marvel characters that are in the distant future, um, and like there's like a story that follows Wolverine, another one follows Hawkeye, another one follows follows Star Lord and Rocket Raccoon. Um, there's one about that follows Doctor Doom, and there's one that follows Black Widow, right? And Susan Sarandon plays Black Widow, <laughs> but like, but it's it's an audio drama, so it's you know, it's it's just their voice acting, but you can really hear her age in, in that 
Yeah. Anything. Um, um, so that's what I'm saying. Like, I really feel like if you love um, David Bowie, mm-hmm. then maybe you'll want to check it out just to see him on screen again. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I really can't think of any reason why. I think the only reason why I would definitely have to, I would that people should check it out is one I, I think you should always check out a director's first work like their first film and see how they've evolved over time mm. so that's one reason another reason is to see why this has like a strong cult following in the goth community or or to mm. learn from it <laughs> yeah it's true <laughs> yeah what to do what not to do exactly <laughs> exactly exactly um all right is that it yes all right so that's gonna be it for our show for this week uh we would like to thank the folks over at Urine Entertainment Corner for hosting this podcast on their website. Uh, for all your film news, CP news, and reviews, check out yourentertainmentcorner.com. Uh, drop us a line uh, at the real appeal. That's real with two e's uh, at gmail.com. Uh, don't be afraid to find us on all podcast catchers and to give us a review, whatever podcast catcher you're listening to. Um, so next week. Uh, I didn't change that, but I know what we're doing next. No, I'm sorry, not next week. We're off for next week. Uh, there will not be a new show. However, we will come back the week after and review Avatar The Way of Water, which is uh, hitting theaters December 16th, which is on a Friday. Oh my God, Kelsey's just like, Fuck. So as me headbutting the mic. So as you're listening to this, um, this podcast came out the day after there has been a press screening for the film. It is getting rave reviews from the press. Like one thing I've seen a lot, the one thing I've seen a lot of these critics have been saying is never bet, never bet against James Cameron. That is what I've been hearing on Twitter. It's all over the fucking when, place. When we watch it, uh-huh. are we gonna upgrade to the um, 3D? Yeah, I, I feel that, like we. Yeah, have that's to. yeah, that's the way to watch the way to watch the way of water. It's the way of 3D. <laughs> um, you now Kelsey and I have seen clips of this movie in 3D when we went to D23. It looked beautiful, but. Out of, it was completely out of context because we were like, we have no idea what's going it, on. Well, it was just like a lot of showing scenery and like the characters swimming. Yeah. And it's like, okay, this is a very beautiful screensaver. Like, <laughs> what was it that you said? Because uh, it was at the it was at the end of D it was at the end of the big like Marvel Lucasfilm uh, presentation um, that you said you felt <laughs> you said like you felt like you're being held hostage. Oh yeah, because <laughs> like because sure. we were done, we were ready to go. We were like, all right, let's walk the floor. And they're like, we, oh. they had us like looking at. We're, they showed us two clips, and then they showed us three clips. Yeah. And by the end of the third one, we're like, okay. And then they showed a fourth one. We're like, seriously, I'm gonna get up if they show me yeah. one more. And they showed us one more. Yeah. But we were kind of stuck there, and then. Then after that, they let us go, and they were handing out posters after. Yeah. And Mark was like. I don't know why I took one of these. And then he's like, why did you take yours? And I said, because you took yours? I don't know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, I mean, that was a little little sidestep. But, uh, yeah, we like to share stuff with you like that. Um, so, yeah, anyway, 
yeah we're so yeah we're gonna be reviewing avatar the way of water uh we are gonna definitely be checking it out on three uh 3d um with that our geriatric cinematic Whew. 2009's avatar it, last airbender <laughs> oof. no no not that movie um yeah we're gonna be we're gonna we're gonna compare and contrast the first movie that came out 14 15 years ago mm-hmm. something like that it feels much longer to me um, like 20 years yeah so yeah we're gonna our jerry cinematic is gonna be 2009's avatar uh which is streaming on disney plus and is available to rent on apple tv amazon youtube tv and other vod services um the topic for that week's show uh, is this shit still culturally relevant? I like that one. Because that's been a huge discussion. Oh, why? Because it's like climate change stuff? <sighs> no, because like when Avatar came out, there was this sweeping love for that movie. Um, there's this uh, docuseries called How To that's on HBO that kind of like go start going into people going into a, a deep state of depression because they couldn't go to the because the planet pandora didn't exist mm-hmm. and all that shit um so yeah that's why i figured that's why i figured it'd be the topic for that week's show and i i i it'll probably be, i'm sure it'll be overriding because i really want to get into like is this is avatar still culturally relevant okay i already have an answer for you but oh will wait till next week wait till so, next week? not next week the next episode yeah so yeah so be back here for the week after as we review those two movies uh and see if kelsey hasn't blown her brains out <laughs> if we don't have another episode then mm. you'll know no i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna I'm gonna do with um with Miriam uh what's her name? Uh, Blaylock. I'm gonna do what Marilyn Blaylock did in The Hunger and bring and make sure you don't die. <laughs> <laughs> the never ending death. <laughs> so we can review this movie. But get ready for those over three and a half three hours of Avatar, The Way of Water. Sitting there watching that is mm. truly the never ending death. <laughs>